Program complete. Enter when ready. It's time. It's time once again to take a journey. So turn on the lights, pull your chair up, get a little closer and get ready because the journey's about to begin. You turn your radio on and there it is, a faint station, wafting in and out of the static of the night. A man named Eric, running a show called The Midnight Cafe, calls to you. The conversation seems strange at first, but as you listen, as his voice fades in and out of the static, you realize this is where you were meant to be. This is what you were meant to listen to. We will take a journey that takes us from the normal, well, all the way through to the paranormal and beyond. We'll talk about the knowns and the unknowns and everything in between. And together, perhaps we'll make a little sense out of this crazy world we all live in. Welcome. Welcome, my friends, to another episode of the Midnight Cafe. I'm your host, Eric, and tonight, for the July 4th weekend here in the United States, we have a pretty interesting show lined up. We're going to take a tour of maybe not so much the paranormal tonight, but you're going to be a part of it, and I hope you'll stick around for the full hour. We're going to get into news, and then we're going to get into some stories. We're going to talk about quintessential America right here on WBCQ 7490. Let's get to the news. And like most weeks, we start tonight's news off with news from outer space. This one, this one may have gone somewhat unnoticed by the majority of you, but this one had the potential to kill at least 90% of Earth's humanity within the next 12 months. And that is the giant giant sunspot that the uh, sun kind of formed over the last couple of days. Now, thankfully, this has, this crisis, I would say, this this issue has passed, at least for now. But this was a massive, I mean, many, many, many times the size of Earth itself sunspot. And these things come and go. It's not all that unusual for these things to happen. But what was unusual about this one is, as it continued to grow larger, it was lining up for a perfect shot right at Earth. Now, while it's debatable exactly what might happen if something like this, if we had a huge solar eruption that was a kill shot, something pointed right at Earth, it is worth noting that a variety of bad things could happen. The entire atmosphere could be wiped off of Earth on one of these things, and that's how powerful our sun is. Far more likely, however, major electro disruptions, so satellites going offline, communications either temporarily or sometimes even permanently taken offline. We look way back in time to when electricity and communications were first getting started in the modern era, and that would be the Carrington event. And this is a subject we'll cover in full in another night, but it's definitely worth talking about briefly here to give you an idea of what it was that we just barely missed. These solar flares can create so much electromagnetic energy with such power when they hit the atmosphere 
that in the 1860s or 70s, I believe it was, we had uh, telegraphs. You know, we didn't really have phone lines as you would think of now. We certainly didn't have a lot of electricity. But we had the ability to communicate over telegraph lines, and there was so much power sent out by the sun that they actually caused those telegraph lines to burst into flames. They caused telegraphs and the buildings they were housed in to burn down. And in some cases, farther away from the epicenter of this blast, the there were people who could take the batteries out of the telegraphs, take the electricity away from the telegraphs, and there was so much energy in the lines, so much electromagnetic energy being transmitted through those lines that the telegraphs would operate without having any power supplied to them. So living in the world that we live in now, it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to think of the disaster that one of these sunspots, one of these uh, coronial mass ejections, would cause to the planet. And we just missed one. Just missed one. So it's worth following sun news sometimes, and it's not something that I pay too close of attention to, because honestly, there's not a whole lot we can do. Even if we knew that one of these things was inbound, there's very little that we have as way of protection against them. Interesting. We're going to skip over world news tonight. It's the 4th of July weekend here in the United States, which is our our celebration of independence. Now, 200 plus years later, that isn't exactly the same kind of independence that we started off with, but we still like to celebrate. And in U.S. news, there is a big story, and that is the overturning of Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court turning the matter back over to states. And it's been interesting watching this play out in the news. And this is a hot topic. This is something that no matter what opinion you have on it, it becomes dangerous to talk about it. But what we've seen in the news is, and this is coverage that I find really dangerous. They talk about Roe v. Wade being overturned, and they speak of it as if abortions here in the United States have been banned. Now, whether you want to believe that's a good thing or a bad thing is totally up to you. I'm just here to report the story. And the story is that they're telling you that abortion has been banned. And that is not the ruling that came down. Abortion is still legal in about 50% of the states. And more importantly, what this ruling really came down to was a return to state rights. So I found it a very interesting just the way that it was promoted, the way it was advertised on mainstream news and also online. Uh, Most people just not apparently either don't care what the ruling actually said or just feel so passionately about it they want to continue to get enraged and it feels better to think that there's definitive answers in all these problems. It's something that I'm not going to cover ever again on this show. It's dangerous to talk about it when there are so many passionate feelings about abortion here in the United States and worldwide. But it is definitely worth noting the way that mainstream media is pulling on those emotions and using them to try to sculpt minds. And we move from there into more local news, and that is the paranormal. Yeah, we got some paranormal news this week. Accidental release from the U.S. Navy, unredacted information on many, many, many UFO sightings was accidentally released onto the Internet And it was something, if you you go out there and look for it, somebody downloaded a copy, and it's now spreading its way through the Internet. There is, and I've just barely gotten into it myself, but there is a lot of photographic evidence. There is a lot of uh, pilot interviews and eyewitness interviews. It is really interesting to uh, 
to get this information unredacted. And, of course, they took it back down very quickly, very quickly, but it didn't make any difference. The The cat was out of the bag. And I do see ourselves going through this year. There are a lot of countries now that are looking into uh, having their own meetings about UFO sightings. So I think that we as a society, not here in the United States, but worldwide, are slowly moving towards the admission that perhaps there is something else going on here on Earth that is from an intelligence, not our own. I look forward to hearing more. I look forward to the release of these documents, and I look forward to the truth, And as I hope you will as well. We're going to play a song. We're going to play a few more songs than normal tonight just because we're going to have a little fun. I just want to play some music and enjoy the 4th of July with you. We'll play play a few tunes. We'll also talk a few stories. I've got some interesting stories about presidents. I've got some interesting stories about U.S. history, and hopefully you'll enjoy it. You're listening to WBCQ 7490, and this is the Midnight Cafe. Let's do it. Now, I can guarantee you that 99.9% of the population has never heard that song. That was Route 23 by Steven Seagal. Yeah, that Steven Seagal, the actor. The guy that now makes like four or five direct-to-DVD videos a year and really, really has let himself go. Not that, not that I haven't, but yeah, Steven Seagal is a musician. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to say this and I'm not even joking. His first album was actually pretty decent. His second album was more of a bluesy album, and it wasn't as great. But as you heard in this, this was not a bad song. And it turns out Stephen Skull can kind of sing, or at least he could during the high day, uh, highlights of his career, the, the better days when, when he was under siege, that sort of, those years. <laughs> All right, so we are going to get into our first story, and it's kind of a long one. But this one is paranormal-related. It's also 4th of July-ish related. It is the story of one of our presidents and a paranormal encounter that he recalled in his book, The Wilderness Hunter. That was Theodore Roosevelt, who was born in 1858, died in 1919, and one of our greater presidents. He was a really outdoorsy guy. He loved to hunt and trap and fish, and he spent a lot of his youth out in the frontier, out, out where everything was still pretty wild. And I hope I don't butcher this story too much, but in this book, he describes a meeting with a guy that was named... Oh, gosh, what's his name? It's on the tip of my tongue. Bauman. Mr. Bauman, right? This guy, Bauman, had lived his whole life on the frontier. And he told a story that he clearly believed, as as, uh, Theodore wrote in his own book. This was not a man who was taken by fear. He lived in the woods his whole life. He wasn't afraid of the bears and the wolves and the coyotes and the things like that. But this was something different. He wasn't a superstitious man, Theodore Roosevelt also uh, remembered about him. He just didn't seem to be the kind of person that had mannerisms about him. But he also knew stories that the Indian medicine man had told him in their winter camps about snow walkers and specters, spirits, ghosts, and apparitions, the formless evil beings that haunt the forest depths, and how the lonely wanderer who after nightfall passes through certain regions where they lurk might never be seen again. 
It may be that when overcome by the horror of fate that befell this gentleman's friend, that he came up with this story to cope with it, but we just can't say. When the event occurred, Bowman was still a young man and was trapping with a partner along the mountains dividing the forks of the Salmon River from the head of the Wisdom River. Not having had much luck, he and his partner determined to go up on a particularly wild and lonely pass, through which ran a small stream said to contain many beavers. The pass had an evil reputation, because the year before a solitary hunter who had wandered into it was slain, seemingly by some sort of wild beast, and his half-eaten remains being found by mining prospectors who had just passed his camp the night before. The memories of this event, however, weighed very lightly with the two trappers, as they were young and adventurous and hardy, as others of their kind were back in the day. They took their two lean mountain ponies to the foot of the pass, where they left them in an open beaver meadow. The rocky timber-clad ground being pretty much impossible for these horses to cross from that point on. So the two then struck out on foot through the vast, gloomy forest. It took about four hours before they reached a little open glade where they concluded that that was a good place to camp for the night, as there were signs of game all around them. There was still an hour or two of daylight left, and after building a brush lean-to and throwing down and opening their packs, they started upstream. The country was very dense and hard to travel through, as there was much down timber, although here and there the somber woodland was broken by small glades of mountain grass. Isn't it beautiful how he described this in his book? At dusk, they again reached camp. The glade in which it was was pitched, and it was not many yards away. There were tall, close-set pines with firs raising all around it. It was almost like a wall, he recounted. On one side, there was a little stream which rose beyond the steep mountain slope, covered in the unbroken growth of the evergreen forest. They were surprised to find that during their short absence, something, apparently a bear, had visited the camp and had rummaged about among their things, scattering the contents of their pack and in sheer wantingness destroyed their lean-to. The footprints of this beast were quite plain, but at first they paid no particular attention to them, busying themselves with rebuilding the lean-to and laying out their beds and starting the fire to get ready for dark. When Bowman was making supper, it was already beginning to be dark. His companion began to examine the tracks more closely in the dimming light and soon took a brand from the fire to follow them up where the intruder had walked along the game trail after leaving the camp. When the brand flickered out, he returned and took another branch, repeating this inspection of the footprints very closely. Coming back to the fire, he stood by it for a minute or two, peering out into the darkness, and suddenly remarked, Bauman, that bear was walking on two legs. Now Bauman laughed at this, but his partner insisted that he was right, and upon again examining the tracks with a torch, they certainly did seem to be made out of but two paws, or possibly feet. However, it was too dark to make sure. After discussing whether the footprints could possibly be those of a human being, and coming to the conclusion that they could not be, the two men rolled up their blankets and went to sleep under the lean-to. It was at midnight that Bauman was awakened by some noise and sat up in his blankets. As he did, his nostrils were struck by a strong, wild beast odor, and he caught the loom of a great body in the darkness at the mouth of the lean-to. 
Grasping his rifle, he fired at the vague, threatening shadow, but must have missed, for immediately afterwards he heard the smashing of the underwood as the thing, whatever it was, rushed off into the impenetrable blackness of the forest at night. After this, the two men slept, but barely. They were worried, obviously. They ended up sitting up and rekindled the fire, but they heard nothing more that evening. In the morning, they started out to look at the few traps they had set the previous evenings and to put up new ones. By an unspoken agreement, they kept together all day and returned to camp towards evening. On nearing it, they saw, hardly at this point to their astonishment, that the lean-to had once again been torn down. The visitor of the preceding day had returned, and in wanton malice had tossed about their camp kit and bedding. The ground was marked up by its tracks, and on leaving the camp it had gone along the soft earth by the brook. The footprints were as plain as if they had been in snow, and after careful scrutiny of the trail, it certainly did seem as if whatever the thing was, it walked on but two legs. The men, thoroughly uneasy, gathered up a great heap of dead logs and kept a roaring fire through that night, one or the other sitting on guard most of the time. About midnight the thing came down through the forest opposite of their position across the brook and stayed there on the hillside for nearly an hour. They could hear the branches crackle as it moved about, and several times it uttered a harsh, grating, long-drawn moan a particularly sinister sound, he recalled. Yet it did not venture near the fire. In the morning, the two trappers, after discussing the strange events of the past 36 hours, decided that they should shoulder their packs and leave the valley that afternoon. They were more than ready to do this because in spite of seeing a good deal of game, they had caught very little fur. However, it was first necessary to go along the line of their traps and gather them. And this they then started out to do. All the morning they kept together, picking up trap after trap, each one of them empty. On first leaving camp, they had a disagreeable sensation that they were being followed. In the dense spruce thickets, they occasionally heard a branch snap after they had passed it. And now and then there were slight rustling noises among the small pines to one side of them. At noon, they were back within a couple miles of camp. In the high, bright sunlight, their fears seemed absurd, as the two men were armed and accustomed to life like this. Through the lonely years of lonely wandering in the wilderness, they had faced every kind of danger, be it from man or brute or element. And there were still three beaver traps to collect from a little pond in a wide ravine nearby. Bowman volunteered to gather those and bring them in while his companion went ahead to camp and made the packs ready to go. Now on reaching the pond, Bauman found the three beavers in the traps. One had been pulled loose and had carried it into the beaver house. He took several hours in securing and preparing the beaver, and then he started homewards. But he was marked now with some uneasiness. The sun was now getting low. He picked up the pace, and as he hurried towards camp under those tall trees, the silence and desolation of the forest weighed on him. His feet made no sound on the pine needles, and the slanting sun rays striking through among the straight trunks made a gray twilight in which objects at a distance glimmered indistinctly. There was nothing 
bleak about this gloomy stillness, but there was no breeze, and it made it very somber feeling in the primal forest that he found himself in. At last, however, he came to the edge of the little glade where they had camp, and he shouted as he approached it, but received no answer. The campfire had gone out, though the thin blue smoke was still curling upwards. Near it lay the packs, wrapped and arranged for them to leave. At first, Bowman thought he could see nobody, nor did he receive any answer from his calls. Stepping forward, he again shouted, and as he did, his eyes fell on the body of his friend, stretched beside the trunk of a great fallen spruce. Rushing towards it, the horrified trapper found that the body was still warm, but that the neck was broken, while there were four great fang marks on its throat. The footprints of the unknown beast creature printed deep in the soft soil told the story. The unfortunate man, having finished his packing, sat down on the spruce log with his face to the fire and his back to the woods to wait for his companion. While he was waiting, his monstrous assailant, which must have been lurking nearby in the woods, waiting for that chance to catch one of the adventurers unprepared, came silently up from behind, walking with long, noiseless steps and seemingly still on just two legs. Evidently unheard, it reached the man and broke its neck by wrenching his head back with his forepaws while burying its teeth into his throat. It had not even eaten the body, but it apparently had romped around it in a ferocious glee, occasionally rolling it over and over again, but then fled soundlessly back into the depths of the woods. Bauman, now utterly unnerved and believing that whatever this creature was that he had to deal with was either something that was only half human and perhaps half devil, some sort of great goblin beast, chose to abandon everything but his rifle and struck off at speed down the pass, not halting until he reached those beaver meadows where his horses had been grazing. Mounting one of them, he rode onward through the night until beyond the reach of pursuit. So what do you think? Isn't it interesting? Theodore Roosevelt hears this story and recalls it so vividly. It, it puts such a thought into his head after his own experiences that he never forgot it and chose to put it in his book that he wrote many years later. Now, while Theodore Roosevelt himself never actually names the creature, aside from referring to it as a goblin, which was clearly one of his favorite terms for unknown critters in the wild, we can guess that people reading this story now, listening to this story now, will instantly kind of note that it does sound a whole lot like Bigfoot or Sasquatch, the hairy, smelly, biggest, upright, walking, ape-like creature to ever reportedly stalk the mountains and forests of America. And so that is kind of an interesting story. We can imagine Roosevelt's regret at never encountering such a fierce beast face-to-face, no doubt he would have relished facing off against such an impressive creature, right? I mean, this guy, if you've ever read about Theodore Roosevelt, he was, uh, he was made out of the real stuff. Nothing like the people we have nowadays in our, in our government, but this guy was definitely something else. But let's talk about it for a minute before we go to music, uh, go to a song here. Um, Bigfoot, right? So I'm sure if you follow any, any of the paranormal you know, channels that are out there, any of the paranormal radio shows that are out there, you've heard of Bigfoot, this massive creature 
that exists pretty much worldwide. Some call him the Yeti, the Abominable Snowman. But here in the United States, there are really not that many names for it. We call it Bigfoot. We call it Sasquatch. And down in the southern states, it's called the Skunk Ape. Now, I've had my own experience with Bigfoot, and maybe I'll share it with you later on in the show. But for right now, let's think about it. Have you ever come across something like a Bigfoot or any other strange creature in the woods? I'd love to hear about it. You can contact me at the Midnight Cafe, all one word, at Hotmail.com. And if you have a great story or would like to be on the show, by all means, reach out to me at the Midnight Cafe at Hotmail.com, and I will do my best to get you on a future episode of the Midnight Cafe. Since it's the 4th of July weekend, we're going to go with this song right here. John Wayne and Jesus. You're listening to WBCQ 7490. This is the Midnight Cafe, and I am your host, Eric. Let's do it. mix from Purina, the cat food with three separate flavors in one package. Three flavors that cats love best, tuna, liver, and chicken. Meow mix tastes so good, cats ask for it by name. Hope you're enjoying the classic commercials we're throwing in there this week. Also want to take a second to point out that our sponsor for tonight's show is Farpoint Farms and Farpoint Farms Restorations and Repairs. You can best support the program you're listening to tonight by supporting those two YouTube channels. So give them a a look. Take a chance. (laughs) You might just like what you see. And if you do, perhaps you'll think about subscribing. Now let's get back to it. If you are not from the United States, well, the 4th of July might seem to be a bit foreign. Canada, however, I think it's July 1st. That's their Independence Day. So to my Canadian friends who are listening in on this broadcast, happy Independence Day to you as well. Maybe someday I'll come up there and, and celebrate it with y'all. But for the rest of the world, this is kind of a unique U.S. holiday. We like to blow up fireworks on the 4th of July. A lot of barbecues, a lot of cookouts. Myself, I'll be at a cookout. In fact, I'm having a cookout here at the house, inviting friends and family in for the event. And, uh, yeah, we might shoot off some firecrackers towards dark. And, of course, Fourth of July to me is all about uh, reaffirming who I am, what my goals are for the year. It's kind of like the midway point. When when we show up at the New Year's, we always come up with our New Year's resolutions for the year. And I'm not a big fan of that, but I do plot my year ahead at New Year's. So July 4th being about halfway through the year. I do love to take a second look and see where I am on my plans, see how those New Year's resolutions, so to speak, are holding out. So I'd love to hear what you guys do for the 4th of July. Obviously, a lot of folks choose to go to the lake, go to the ocean, go to the beach, go out and enjoy themselves on a boat, hanging out with friends. I think that's really what it comes down to. And, of course, a good barbecue, good cookout, hot dogs and hamburgers. And that's about as American as American gets. Throw an apple pie on the table and you have just nailed what it's like to be an American. We're going to go to another song. It is uh, a good one. I think you'll like it. It's called Do America. I'm trying to keep a patriotic theme with most of the songs tonight. So I hope you'll enjoy this one. And we'll be back. You're listening to WBCQ 7490. Let's do it.
Chock full of nuts is that heavenly coffee, heavenly coffee, heavenly coffee. Chock full of nuts is that heavenly coffee, better coffee a millionaire's money can't buy. Again, I hope you're enjoying the vintage commercials. And what's more Americana than the sound of the Apollo spacecraft having a successful touchdown on the moon? What a great time in American history it was to see us not not victors in the space race, because the Russians certainly beat us to nearly every punch, but to be successful in the space race, to successfully land men on the moon and bring them home. It was incredible that we were able to do that with the technology that the 60s provided us, but it's something that hasn't been matched since. No other humans have stepped foot since the last American left. And that's something to think about, isn't it? Getting back to our 4th of July theme, And this is a subject we will definitely spend a full episode on. Let's talk about people who go missing in national parks. It's better known now as the Missing 411, with David Pilates doing a whole series of books and many interviews on the subject. The truth is, when the weather turns nice, Americans hit the national park systems in droves. I myself have taken many vacations to national parks, traveling out west, up north, and down south to see some of the most beautiful places the United States has to offer. But what's very strange is that a lot of people every year go missing. It's not strange that somebody would go camping and go missing in the sense that, yeah, I mean, people get lost. People go into the woods and get lost. But the sheer number of people who are otherwise healthy who are otherwise skilled, who have no reason really that they should have an issue on the trail, just disappear. And some of these disappearances happen in the blink of an eye. People who are walking in a group, one person may stop to tie their shoes and is never seen again. Some of the stories of people who have come out of the woods, who've almost vanished, are also equally astounding sounds in the woods where they're just walking and suddenly they hear a familiar voice something that can not only maybe read our minds but mimic voices they'd swear it's a neighbor's son or daughter they swear it's an old high school friend calling to them from just off the trail those that follow that sound are probably never heard from again But thankfully, a few are able to rationalize that they can't be hearing what they think they're hearing. Other stories like this, it's incredible. Some of the people who go missing are never found. Others are found in the most unusual ways. A pair of shoes taken off and perfectly placed at the forest floor, but no body ever found. Sometimes clothes taken off, neatly folded, but no body ever found. It's very strange when you think about it that so many people would disappear in so many national parks. And if you look online, some of the evidence is really, really shocking. The amount of missing people that go missing in certain specific clusters inside these national parks is what really stands out to me. Now, I've watched both of Pilates' movies 
uh, finding 411 The Hunted to be vastly superior to his first. But I've also listened to many of his interviews. He tells a compelling story, and he doesn't try to explain why or what is out there doing these things, only the situations that they occur. There's another character on YouTube called Rusty West who also covers these missing person stories and does a great, great job of doing it. They're detail-orientated, they're factual, and they give information because Rusty, much like David Pilates, wants these people to be found. It's a strange, strange phenomenon that occurs right here in America, and I'd be interested in hearing if it occurs elsewhere. Does this happen all the way around the world, or is this a phenomenon that's unique to the United States? You're listening to The Midnight Cafe. I'm your host, Eric, and tonight we are celebrating the 4th of July weekend with some cool music and some cool tunes right here on WBCQ 7490. Let's get back to another one, and then it's time to wrap things up. Well, there's a song you've probably never heard on the radio before. I don't even remember where I stumbled across that one. That was Kay Kaiser, Praise the Lord and Pass the Ammunition, a song from the 40s during World War II. You're listening to The Midnight Cafe right here on WBCQ 7490's 50,000-watt blowtorch of a transmitter. If you've never seen the transmitting antenna, you owe it to yourself to pop on over to their website and take a look at the monstrosity that they have created there, a directional rotatable antenna array. And that's where the Midnight Cafe is broadcasting from right now. Hope you're enjoying the show. It's the 4th of July weekend. We are kind of having a loose theme, but honestly, we're just having a good time. So look, if you like what you're seeing here on the Midnight Cafe, I need you to reach out to me and let me know. The Midnight Cafe, all one word, at hotmail.com. Let me know what kind of changes you would make if the show were up to you. And let me know if you want me to continue, because for the amount of effort that I'm putting into it, I need to hear from you. Next month, we'll be bringing on our first live guests, so I hope that you'll continue to watch and listen to the show and the edited versions that go up as podcasts and on YouTube. Let's go back to one commercial, and then we're going to have to wrap this night up with one last really cool story right here on the Midnight Cafe. Another public service announcement from Brill Cream. Men, beware. Use one dab of Brill Cream. Just a little dab makes your hair look excitingly clean, disturbingly healthy. This man dared to use two dabs. Now he's in trouble. We refuse to be responsible. Brill Cream, Brill Cream, Brill Cream. Brill Cream, a little dab will do ya. Brill Cream, you look so debonair. Brill Cream, the gals will all pursue ya. They'll love to get their fingers in your hair. Brill Cream, a little dab will do ya. Or watch out, the gals will all pursue ya. Get Brill Cream today. We wrap up tonight with another story about a Bigfoot, or a Sasquatch, or a Skunk Ape, whatever you want to call it. Another story, and you might be asking yourself, why are we talking about Bigfoot on the 4th of July? Well, I assure you, my friends, this story about Bigfoot also took place over the 4th of July many years ago. This is my own story of seeing something something that after researching for years on the internet, I've come to believe was maybe a skunk ape, something not quite as large as the Western Bigfoot that many of these stories you hear online cover. 
But it was. It was 4th of July weekend. I was maybe 11 years old, possibly 12, but not much older than that. And I was there with family. The family was inside because it was a particularly warm day. But this was a raised ranch house, and it looked down into the woods. Now, mind you, as a 12-year-old, this was before the Internet. This was before video games. This was before cable TV. As a child, I spent nearly every afternoon after school and every day, all day, and some nights on the weekends camping in those woods. They stretched on for miles in most directions with our little private road kind of winding down a gravel road with only six houses on it. No other house anywhere nearby. So looking down into this area, I was looking at a trail that I had built and went about a half mile to the right down to a small swamp. And about another half mile to the left, it went to a large pile of boulders. It was a mountain, but it was just boulders stacked on top of each other. There was very little actual dirt, mud there. And so it was a cool place as a kid, but a little bit spooky. Sometimes you would see scat from raccoons or coyotes or whatever it was that was living in there. And we always dreamed that we'd find some massive cave there as kids, but we never did. Anyway, as I was saying, I was on the porch with my cousin, and we were just talking. Maybe we were playing. I can't remember. But I do remember what happened next. We both stopped what we were doing and looked down into the woods because we heard the rustling of leaves. Now, it wasn't uncommon to see a deer or sometimes even a coyote, and there were plenty of raccoons. But whatever this was, it was on two legs, and one of them wasn't working quite right. I remember thinking, it's dragging a leg. But we saw this thing come from the right, from towards this swampy area, and it moved through the brush, which granted was somewhat thick, but looking down from the top, you could see pretty well into that area, see the trail. And it moved across our field of vision. It took probably close to a minute for it to go from one side of our field of vision to the other, and it moved along. And it was a grayish-brown animal, but it was definitely more gray than brown the size of an average adult, and it was dragging a leg. It definitely had a bad leg. You could tell it would move, it would drag, it would move, it would drag, and it was on two feet. We watched it, kind of terrified, to be honest with you, as 12-year-olds, as it disappeared over to the left, over towards the, to the rocks, and we could no longer hear it because apparently it started climbing the rocks. There were no leaves to rustle. We kind of looked at it. We built up a little bit of courage, talking to each other briefly. And I went and got the only weapon we had as 12-year-olds. I had a bow and arrow. And I'm not talking about a compound crossbow. I'm talking about a bow and arrow, something that would probably stick maybe just breaking the flesh. But that's what we had, and that's what we convinced ourselves was going to protect us. So we headed down, out of the house, down into the woods. And the proof of what I needed to see was there. As a child, I remember being so amazed by it. All of the leaves had been pulled up, you know, as this item, as this leg had been dragged through the woods. And we walked towards where the mountain was, where all the rocks were. But the closer we got, the more we got that feeling that maybe we weren't alone. Maybe we were being watched. Maybe whatever it was that had dragged itself across the forest floor had not dragged itself up and over that mountain, but perhaps it was hiding in one of those rocks. There were plenty of crevices, plenty of spots where I used to build forts myself. So there were plenty of places to fit a grown adult. And I couldn't help but wonder if hiding in those cracks, if hiding behind one of those boulders 
was something that was quite dangerous. We pretty much scared ourselves out of trying to climb up that mountain, and so we never got to see how far the trail went, nor do I know if I'd ever find it again. I will say that it did take me a couple of days after that event before I wanted to go back down into the woods. I had tree forts and a lot of times for that first week or so, I think, after I finally built up the nerve that summer to get back down in the woods, I would go up into the tree fort and pull up the ladder, figuring that I was, you know, eight or nine feet off the ground or maybe 10 feet off the ground and that that would somehow protect me. And I would sit there in camouflage and wait, but I never did see this animal again, never saw this creature again. It is worth noting, however, that on the other side of this vast area of woods, was a park and that park had its own mythical beast stories that had passed down all the way from the late 1790s a story of something that was called the devil's den and that creature was supposedly a two-legged hooved creature with gray fur but a devil's top end very interesting and so maybe i saw the devil from devil's den maybe i saw what I would most closely say resembled a skunk ape. Or maybe I saw something else. Who knows? And that's the beauty of it, man. I love the unknown. Because someday, hopefully, we find out what's behind that hidden doorway. I'm Eric. You have been listening to the Midnight Cafe right here on WBCQ 7490. I'm going to leave this July 4th broadcast with this song... And I love this song. Uh, I'm not a huge Frank Sinatra fan, but this song just rings every bell in my own personal life because I truly have done it my way. Till next time, my friends, take care.